Welcome, friends. My name is Debbie Lawrence, and this is episode 20 of the Compassionate Leader School podcast. The topic I chose for today's episode of the Compassionate Leader School podcast is setting clear expectations by using the PAR principle. I used to be the vice president of a company called Key Corp Inc. And I was also a college principal. As you can imagine, that involved a lot of conversations with a lot of people, our staff, our management team, students, parents, industry partners, media clients, the general public, you name it. And I talked to them. Something I experienced more often than not was when someone, mostly a staff member, one of my management team or student, would show up in my office and ask if they could close the door and speak to me privately. Now that usually meant that there was a problem afoot and they were hoping I could and would solve it for them. If you knew me well, or if you know me well, you know I'm a natural born rescuer. It should come as no surprise to you then that I became a coach and a teacher because a big part of what I do is to help others. In other words, I rescue them. What I didn't understand early in my management and coaching experience was that just because someone brought a problem to me, that didn't mean that I was obliged to rescue them, to let them take their issue and place it in my lap and then step back and wait for me to take it on, to own it, and to ultimately solve it. And is that not what so many of us do, especially when we're in a position of leadership? I can't tell you how many times I'm in conversation with business owners, managers, directors of departments, supervisors, who explain that they took on an employee's issue and resolved it for them because they genuinely thought that that's what they were supposed to do. They thought that that's what I do when I'm in a leadership role, particularly when I know how to quickly get to some sort of a resolution around something. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's not always true. In fact, you only step in and take charge when the issue is in a critical state where harm could come to someone or something if you don't dress it immediately. But most of the time, like 80% of the time, probably even 85% of the time, I would offer to you that we don't need to get involved to that extent. Even more, when we step in prematurely, Understand that we can do more harm to the employee or the employees involved than helping them, mainly because if we're always stepping in, if we're always taking it on and we're always resolving it, they never get the opportunity to develop skills to critically think their way through a problem or the skills that are needed to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone. Or they also are denied that boost of confidence that comes from hearing their boss say, I believe in you and your ability to navigate your way through some situation. You know, back in the mid 90s, I spent a lot of time studying the work of Carl Jung. And and Jung is uh, a Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist who founded analytic psychology. And one of the things he's known for 
is his work around what he called our archetypes, which in plain language, I like to think of them as energy. In real basic terms, it's said that we're all made up of multiple archetypes. And these archetypes, these energies, rule us. They influence the decisions we make and therefore the experiences we have and how we show up in the world. There are thousands of archetypes, but there are about 70 that most people will say, I have you know, so many of those archetypes. I feel like they are a part of who I am. Now, let me give you an example, because I know for some of you, when I say, ooh, they feel like energy, that might seem a little out there, but this is what I'm talking about. Have you ever worked with someone and you could probably best describe them as a damsel in distress? You know that person that they're in the photocopy room and the photocopier gets jammed and they go, oh my gosh, help, help. The photocopier's jammed and they don't know how to get the paper, the piece of paper out. And you're thinking, okay, all you got to do is open up the front and follow the instructions. But they never seem to be able to do those things that seem pretty fundamental. That it seems like no matter what they do, if they run into any kind of a challenge, they're calling out for someone else to come and help them. And the truth is, they love that feeling when someone comes and rescues them. So that's an example of an archetypal energy. And I would offer to you that if you went back to the beginning of time, you would, if you had known them when they were four years old, you would have seen that behavior at that point in time in their lives. Or if I were to say to you, well, we've got the damsel in distress. Who rescues the damsel in distress? The knight in shining armor. So the knight in shining armor is similar to a rescuer, but the, and, and it's non-gender specific, even though we call it the knight in shining armor. And we often think of that as a, as a masculine role. But the knight in shining armor is that person who loves to come to the rescue of the damsel in distress, but they need to make a show of it. I mean, we see knights in shining armor in movie, portrayed in movies, and they're, they literally come in on their big white stallion, and they've got their shield, and they're here to save the day, and everybody says, hurrah, hurrah. So that knight in shining armor is that person that when they hear the damsel in distress in the photocopy room, challenged by a piece of paper that's stuck in she can't seem to find it because oh, I always think of I remember those cartoons where the damsel in distress was the, the 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 woman that was lying on the railway tracks and she'd be like help help looking for someone to come and rescue her that is that archetypal energy and the knight in shining armor is the person who loves to come and rescue her or you might hear an expression like somebody is a real storyteller and just how they speak, they speak in story. If you ask them to explain something, they will take a complex matter and break it down in a way that they present it in a, in a story-like manner. So you can go, oh, like a, like a storyteller would take a complex issue. And if they knew that you liked to go fishing, they could say, you know, it's sort of like when you go fishing and you're, um, you're getting the... Um, you know, the, the fishing line through your rod and you, it's, they'll say, well, it's sort of like that. And you go, oh my gosh, now I can understand it. I can see the, the parallels between the two of those ideas. Or there's a diva. So when you say somebody is diva, I often do this when I'm teaching and I go, okay, I'm diva energy. Who's diva? And people will 
name celebrities and of course Mariah Carey is one that comes to to top of mind every single time and she herself describes um, her own character as that of diva you know divas those people that are very focused on themselves um, very um, high maintenance have very high standards they want to be taken care of but taken care of in a very specific way I could go on and on. There's an athlete archetype. There's a teacher is an archetype. Student is an archetype. Those are the differences. People who love to teach, like I love to teach. So I have strong teacher archetype. I love to learn, but I'm more of a teacher than a student. I have a sister who says I could be a professional student. I could just spend my whole life learning. I love it when I'm in a classroom and I've got a really great teacher. I love to get my books. I love to take notes. I love to do assignments. Like that's somebody who has strong student energy in them. So I hope in explaining it that way, you get the point. So the rescuer is an archetypal energy. And this whole challenge around um, the setting, the expectations around working with the par principle is really challenging for rescuers. If you don't have rescuer energy, you might listen to this episode of the podcast and go, yeah, I don't really get this. Like, that's not me at all. Then no, it's not you. That is not your archetypal energy. And that's why you don't struggle with it. But when you have rescuer energy, you want to rescue because you know how to do it. And you just feel drawn to it like that. It's such a natural thing to do. Just like the storyteller in explaining something, they find it really hard not to try to do it in terms of a story because it's so natural for them. So understanding about this archetypal energy, in particular, the rescuer. So if you have rescuer energy and you're in a leadership role, you will be really challenged around trying to figure out when to get involved and when not to get involved. And one of the things that Carl Jung helped us see is that it's not the archetypal energy in and of itself that's either good or not good. It is how we use it. And how we use the archetypal energy is either that uh, I explain it as we either stand in our light, that we use it in a positive, uh, appropriate way, or it is shadow energy. We are using it in a in a negative way. So when we step in and rescue, because we love to rescue and it's easy for us, we can see the solution, we'll be in and out in no time, and the person's going to walk away and go, wow, you're amazing. Our ego loves that. I will tell you, anytime you are doing any kind of shadow energy, that is something that is being driven by your ego. But when you show up and use that energy in the light way, you are willing to stand back and say, because this is what I have to do every day of my life, <laughs> particularly when I'm in the facing those situations where I'm trying to figure out, should I step in and help or not, is I have to ask myself the question, does this person need to be helped? Do they need to be rescued? In other words, yes, they do. Number two, am I the best person, the most appropriate person in this moment to help? Can I actually help? And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to help. If the answer is no, then I'm going to step away. And sometimes I have want to ask a third question. So I'm asking, do they need to be helped? Am I the best person? And also then, is this not something that they could ultimately do themselves and it's best for them 
if I help them figure it out for themselves. So for me, the biggest life lesson I had to learn around my rescuer energy is just because I can, it doesn't mean I have to. Just because I can, it doesn't mean I have to. And I have found out that from a workplace perspective, when I'm in a leadership role, that I need to step in maybe 10, 15% of the time. The other 80 to 85% of the time, my job is to coach the other person through so that they can do it for themselves. So I use this thing called the PAR principle, which helps me uh, not just to keep my distance, but to do something even more important. It's a tool I've used to help other people develop critical thinking skills, to take accountability for resolving a situation or solving a problem themselves, but doing this with my support without me taking it on, and it helps to build their self-confidence. And it also is something that I have used to help me set very clear expectations around what is okay and what is not okay. So here is the PAR principle, P-A-R. When someone would come to me with a problem, it's true today as well, I would say to them, so the first thing is is the P, tell me the problem. I really want to hear exactly everything that's involved in it. But here's the difference. This is where you can't just leave it in my lap and sit there and wait for me to go, well, I believe that this is what you should do. The A of the P-A-R stands for alternate courses of action or alternate solutions. So in other words, when you look at this situation, and this is how I coach somebody and help them develop uh, critical thinking skills, I want them to think about what could I do as a solution? And that's solution A. And then when we look at solution A, I want you to tell me what's the upside of this and what are some of the downsides of this? And then is there a solution B? And is there a solution C? So often uh, I get them to just brainstorm all of the possible solutions. And then we do that pro-con analysis. And then the R at the end of the day stands for their recommendation. So once we've gone through that process, I'm coaching them through that. So I'm not doing all the heavy lifting here. I'm saying to them, based on everything that we have just talked about, what feels right to you? What would you want to do? What is your recommendation? And here's been what my experience has been. I don't know the number, 95, 97% of the time, I agree with their solution. I agree with the rec- recommended path that they want to take. And there's nothing more empowering for them in that moment than to say, wow, like, okay, I, I didn't realize I could do that. And sometimes what I will say to them is, I think that's, you're absolutely right. That's a great recommendation. And I want to offer one tweak to it. One little thing that I might recommend that they also do or a sidestep that they take that I believe would strengthen it. But the beauty is that the recommended course of action ultimately is theirs. And I'll also say to you, there would be times that my staff would come in And I would say to them, okay, so I hear the problem. What are the alternate courses of action? If they go, oh, oh, I I don't know, Debbie, I'm just, I'm so, I can't, you know, they want to do that. I can't believe this is happening. This is terrible. I just just need to know what it is that we're supposed to do. 
if they're responsible for determining what it, they're supposed to do, I'm going to say to them, now this is if, unless it's, I'm not talking about those situations where it's critical. If we have time, I'm going to say to them, okay, well, then I'm going to stop our conversation right now. I need you to go away and think about it. And then when you're ready, come back and we'll talk about the alternate courses of action and ultimately what you recommend. Sometimes I have a staff person then who knows that that's how I'm going to approach it, would come in and go, okay, I know I need to talk to you about a problem and I know we're supposed to have alternate courses of action, but goodness gracious, I've never encountered this before and I'm stuck because I don't even know where to start. And if I really believe that that's true, then I'm going to coach them through that. Um, So we're not just leaving them hanging there if they don't have the ability to do it. We're going to meet them where they are and help them navigate their way through. So when I say that we are setting expectations by using the PAR principle, the expectation that we're setting up is that you need to learn to be your own problem solver, that you cannot just come in here and lay a problem in my lab and expect that I'm going to resolve it all for you. I, I will say that your job as a leader, I always saw this within myself as well, is to create a workplace culture where defaulting to the PAR principle is the norm. That becomes the expectation. And I remember early in my career where I did not do this or did not do this well, and I saw the repercussions of that. And I saw the benefit of it when I cl- this clicked in and I started approaching it this way. So your job is to communicate your expectation that they will come with more than a problem. Again, unless it's an extenuating circumstance. And better yet, as I've said, this approach teaches them how to deal with problems, to keep them in their own lap, which means the next time they they encounter the same issue or a similar situation, they're highly likely to manage it just on their own. And I tell you, it's really wonderful when they come to see you to say, I'm just letting you know that this happened and this is how I handled it. I just wanted to keep you in the loop. That is a moment when you have a real win on your hands. So it it's really quite simple to do. And let me say this, initially you may feel uncomfortable because your inclination is to dive in and take care of it, especially if doing that takes a lot less time and effort. But I want to say this to you, that's being short-sighted because the person will just keep coming back again and again. So over the long run, you're actually investing a lot more time, effort, and energy, and probably increasing your frustration meter as well. You know, you've heard this old adage of um, if you teach, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you will feed him for a lifetime. Well, this is exactly what you're doing here. You're teaching your team members how to fish so that they can take care of themselves over a lifetime. And yes, you've heard me say this again and again, You've got to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to sit there and watch someone sometimes struggle through something, but the growth comes from the struggle. All right, my compassionate leaders, your take action challenge this week is to embrace this opportunity to apply the PAR principle. And if you're feeling unsure, practice it at home. Do it with your friends and your family because they can be the best people always to test out any new skills or techniques or strategies. And then when you're ready, try them in the workplace. 
Finally, I want to remind you, as I always do, if you haven't done so already, please go to my website, debbielawrence.ca, and sign up for this podcast so you never miss an episode. Share it with a friend. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a comment or write a review. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, here's to giving ourselves permission to show up as open, fierce, and compassionate leaders, and always to living life abundantly. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.